Today, uh, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're continuing this series, Do Not Be Silent, uh, out of the book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 16 through 20, if you kind of want to be reading through that uh, over the next uh, 12 weeks or so. We're going to be walking through this section of Scripture, just exploring what God would have us to learn from these passages. And today, uh, in Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick up in verse 6, and we're going to really look at this idea of God's leading and guidance and direction. How many of you would like to know what God wants you to do with your life? How many of you are looking to say, God, I want you to lead and guide and direct me. I want to know where you're taking me, right? Like that's, that's, um, that's a pretty significant thing to feel like. If you didn't raise your hand, you're like, nope, I know exactly where God's leading me. And either I'm all over it or I'm running as hard as I can from it, right? And so you're like, God, don't tell me anymore. But uh, I get in conversations with all of you regularly and, 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 and this is something that comes up all the time. Oh, I feel like God's leading me towards this, or I don't know what God wants me to do, or I have these opportunities and I'm trying to figure out which one is the way I should go, or what, what, what does God want me to do in this? And, and so we're going to look at a, a time when, when Paul and his travel companions had this, this same sort of situation happening to them. And, and I want to warn you up front that I'm not going to give you three snazzy points that are going to help you to have this locked down for the rest of your life. There's no, there's no three simple things that I can tell you that will help you to always know precisely the will of God in every moment and every situation. That doesn't exist. And when you look at Scripture, you see over and over again that the people are continually, they have to work, they have to seek. There's moments where we're called to step out in faith, and we don't always know exactly where God's leading. Uh, but what we will see today is that there's principles there's ways of approaching the challenges that life brings to us where we can put ourselves in a position to hear from God and to know what he wants for us and to follow him clearly or when we don't have that clarity to keep pursuing it in a, in a healthy and a, and a helpful way. And so that's my, my hope for us this morning. This is something that we all have some experience in and and just as a reminder, for us as a church, it's something we have some experience in. Some of you have joined us in the past three years, and so you don't really remember the season when we were meeting in the movie theater for 12, 13 years, where we would go and we'd do a portable setup, we would set everything up, uh, we'd do our services, we'd tear it down within the span of four hours, and we looked at a bunch of different properties and buildings and things over the years, and uh, uh, it was just closed door, closed door, closed door. And we finally got to the point where we're like, man, God, I think you really just want us to be a movie theater church. I guess, I guess we're just going to be the best movie theater church that we can be. And right about the time we came to a piece with that, uh, this building came along. And so uh, right away, we're like, okay, is this, is this God saying, okay, now you've got that settled in your heart. Now I can take you to the next thing. Or is this temptation saying like, hey, God just settled in your heart that you're okay being in a movie theater church. Now is this here to tempt us to see if we really meant that when we said it. And so we, we started praying through that. We started working through it. And I was just remembering back this morning, I was in here early working. And I remember sitting out behind the building here about nine months before we ended up purchasing it. And back then, I don't know how many of you remember this, but uh, there wasn't a driveway. There wasn't a, a, a paved parking lot in the back. There was kind of a stone slash dirt path that kind of went around the building and out in the back there was enough room for about two cars to pass each other and there might have been a dozen parking spots and I remember sitting back there and saying God I, I see things lining up I feel like maybe you're leading us towards this but I have no idea how we're going to be able to park cars here I don't I, I just don't think this is going to work God, you're going to have to show me that this is possible because I I don't really see it right now but we kept taking small steps of faith forward and and ultimately got to the place where um uh, some of you were there. We met downstairs in the fellowship hall. Even though we didn't know in the building yet, they let us have a meeting here. And, uh, and we came and we met, and the members of the church voted to put an offer in on the church. And so uh, we approved that. We all went and we put our hands on the walls of the building, uh, like down there in the fellowship hall, and we just prayed, God, 
Uh, we feel like you're leading us to make this offer. If it's your will, we pray that it will be accepted. If it's not your will, uh, we're grateful for you closing a door that we're not meant to go in. And, and we just kind of prayed with faith, feeling like God had, had taken us to that point. And, uh, and so we put the offer in, and you guys know me. It was a super lowball offer. Like, I went in, like, um, I, I, we went in saying, we're going to offer this, and they're going to counter, and we're willing to go this high, but we're not going to go above this. We went in with our lowball offer, and they're like, yeah, we'll do it. Like, no negotiation, like, just like, sure, yep, let's do it, um, which was amazing. And uh, so we're like, all right, wow, God, you're throwing open the doors. Well, the next thing is we begin the process, and we do some soil testing, and there's a buried oil tank in the back, and, uh, and the soil testing reveals that there's oil in the soil. And they're like, you know, your tank might be broken. This could be tens of thousands of dollars of environmental cleanup. And so it just kind of went into limbo, and it was an unknown period. We didn't know if it was going to go forward. The bank was thinking they might want to back out. And so finally, we reached out to him. We said, hey, we don't want to see this thing quite die yet. We don't know. You know, maybe this is God giving us an out on something we're not supposed to do. But uh, we reached out and we said, hey, we don't want this to be, you know, just to kill the deal. So what if you let us pay to dig it up and let's just see what's in there? And they came back and they're like, uh, no, we don't want you to dig it up. We'll dig it up. We'll pay to dig it up. We'll clean everything up. If it's less than, I think it was like $20,000, we'll take care of it all and then we'll sell you the building. Um, but if we get in there and it's a total mess, everybody can walk away and, and nobody, <laughs> nobody has to deal with it. Well, they would have to deal with it, but we wouldn't have to, right? We're like, wow, that's a really great deal. So we don't have to do anything. We just sit back, right? So they went in. They, they paid to dig the tank up, and it turned out after they did it, I was like, so what are you seeing? They're like, there's nothing here. I don't know what your soil testing showed you. I'm not sure what was going on, but we can fill this hole in. Everything's good. You don't have to do anything else. And so, uh, so there was these ups and downs of saying, like, God, are you leading this to us? Uh, we feel like you are in just these small steps of faith, and as God revealed himself. But, but in it, we just tried to keep our heart. And even when we moved here to say, like, hey, this is a tool that God has given us to do his work in the community. We had a tool that was the movie theater. It was a rental space. We have a tool uh, that we pretend that we own. Actually, the bank owns this building, but, <laughs> but we're paying them little by little to own it, right? It's a tool. This is not the church. We are the church. And, uh, and in keeping our perspective there, it allowed us to walk forward in an opportunity and kind of seek and pursue God. And I'm sure that you guys have experienced this in your own life as you've pursued things of just kind of trying to walk forward but always leaving God uh, the freedom to open and close doors. And so let's look at how this happened in this, this account with Paul, with Timothy, with Silas as they're traveling. We pick up in verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So short a little passage here, but there's, there's a lot tied up into it. And we can see this, this guiding hand of God, closing some doors, opening others. And, and so there's some real direct application to our life. And so, there's, like I said, there's a few principles I want us to grab out of this. The, the first one that I see and, and that, that we can grab out of this is that God's next direction for us always builds off his prior directions to us. God, uh, it's not like we're just entering into a brand new story with him, right? Like he's been unfolding this story in our life. He's been leading and guiding and directing and shaping us and setting us on a mission. And so the next thing that he gives you is going to tie into all the things that, that he has led you thus far. He's not going to completely change course. Now, the direction might look really different than where you've gone before, but it still is a continuation of the work, the story that God is writing in your life. With Paul, we saw this when he was a persecutor of the church. 
Jesus struck him down on the road and said, why are you persecuting me? And he blinded him. And then he sent this, uh, this man named Ananias to go and, and to prophesy over him. And he told him in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he said, The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, if I was going to have a prophecy spoken over me, I, I wouldn't want it to involve how much I'm going to have to suffer for that. Right? That's, not, that's not something I'm uh, hoping would be a part of my prophecy. But he understood that it was his job to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nation of Israel, before kings and leaders, that he knew that was part of what God was going to unfold for him. And so whatever the next step was going to be, as God was closing the door to go into Asia, he didn't be like, well, okay, I guess I'll just go back to Antioch and maybe I'll just start making tents and kind of... No, he knew he was supposed to be preaching the gospel. It's just, all right, God, not here. Okay, who are the people that you, I know you want me to preach the gospel. Apparently, you don't want me to go here right now. Where do you want me to go? And so it tied into what God had shown them. So I invite you to think, what has God shown you clearly in your life? What has he called you to in your life? What, what has he demonstrated to you where you could say, man, I, I remember this, this point in my life. I know that God told me this. Maybe God told me, I, it was just clear to me, I, I was supposed to marry this person. It was clear to me that we were, we, were, we were supposed to have this kid. It was clear to me that I was supposed to take that job. It was clear to me that I was supposed to, uh, to, to attend Riverside Church. I walked through the doors, and I just had this sense of, like, God, this is where you want me to be. If that was the last thing that he communicated to you, start there as your place to build, right? Begin to say, okay, God, you, you brought me here. You, you had me do this thing. Why? Why am I here? Why am I in this job? Why am I at this church? Is there something here that you want me to do? That might be a clue into the next thing that God is going to lead you to. Paul wasn't completely without direction when God closed the door on Asia. He's like, well, no, I, I'm still supposed to preach the gospel. I'm still supposed to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. It just apparently it's not right here. So where is it? And he kept moving forward. In, in God's word, in the Bible, we have an endless source of leading and guiding and direction. And so really, I know, and, and I get this way sometimes too, right? So as a follower of Jesus, you might get to a point where you're like, man, I just feel like I'm spinning my tires. I feel like I, I don't know what the direction forward is. I don't know where I'm supposed to go from. I, I just feel like I'm kind of adrift. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I would encourage you that for any of us to say that, in, in essence, we're kind of saying like, yeah, okay, I, I checked all this off. <laughs> what else do you have for me, God? And so if you don't have a clear direction, there's times where God leads us to something very clear and specific, a, a clear calling to go and speak to a person or to, to go and do a thing or join a ministry or, or go on a mission trip. There's some things that he calls real specifically, but then there's God's general call in the Bible that this, uh, there's enough calling in here and leading and guiding and directing to fill up the rest of our life, right? That there's so much in here that we have yet to do. That I, I read in here and I say, yeah, just think about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is there any of those that I have to work on? <laughs> Is there any of those things where I was like, God, I need you to, I need you to work, in, work in this area. I need, I need the, the, the Holy Spirit to work in me because I don't naturally, I'm not naturally a self-controlled person, but I know that I need that. That's the fruit of the Spirit working in me. God, right? That there's an endless uh, task list of things that we can pursue in a good way in Scripture. And so none of us should ever feel completely devoid of direction. We always have direction. We always have a calling. Jesus said, go into all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. If you check that one off, let me know, right? Like, if we're done with that one, there's probably some other things. But so we always have direction. The question is, 
as I'm doing the things that I know God has called me to in Scripture, uh, is there some other specific things that he's leading me to? Uh, there was a sermon that a, a guy named Steve Furtick preached. It's one of my favorite sermons. Uh, uh, it's called God's Will is Whatever. And, and in it, he essentially preaches this. He says that we as people, uh, we're really concerned with like the who's, the what's, the where's, and the when's. You know, who, who am I going to marry? Uh, who should I get into business with? Uh, what should I do? What kind of job should I do? Where should I live? Where should I move? Uh, when is this going to happen? Is it going to happen tomorrow? Is it going to happen next week? When, I, when am I going to do this, right? Those are the things that we busy a lot of our time and our effort thinking about. But what God is really most concerned about is how and why. How are you going to live? Are you going to live in line? Uh, are you going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to live for the glory of Jesus? Are you going to seek uh, to live your life in a way that, that glorifies him and makes him know? If that's how you're living your life, you could be a teacher, you could be a plumber, you could be a stay-at-home mom, you could be a pastor, you could be a missionary, and you could be doing a great work for Jesus, right? If, you, if, if that's how you're living your life, there's all this freedom. There's a million things you could do if that's how you're doing it. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to glorify Jesus? Are you doing it because it's going to help you and your family and your loved ones to grow closer to him? Or is selfishness, right? Like, you know, you might get offered a, an opportunity at work. Man, I really want to take it. Why do you want to take it? Well, it's more money. It's more prestige. I travel more. Are all those things good things? Is it, is, is it better to travel more? <laughs> is more money really going to be better? I mean, we all could use more. Does anybody here want more money, right? Like, you know, everyone, right? Everyone wants more money. But is it always better for us? The history of lottery winners would say, no, probably not, Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a tragic story that a lot of those ended, that more money is not always a better thing. And sometimes God will say, hey, yeah. And sometimes it is in line, right? The how and the why lines up with like, hey, uh, I'm doing this to glorify God. I'm doing this to benefit my family. And now he's opened up this door for me to go and, and take this position where I'll have more influence and I will bring in more income and I'll be able to be more generous and bless other people. And so, so I'm not saying that God is always going to lead you on this path of, of, of the lowest common denominator and to reject the, uh, the blessings of life. Sometimes because he's a good, good father, he aligns those things together. But the question is why? Why do we want to do it? Do we want to do it because we want to get closer to God or because are, are the selfish things at the, at the motivation, right? So, so, so think about that as you're thinking about God's direction. Am I more worried about who and what and when and where than I am about the how and the why? If you're a single person here today and you're, you're hoping to be married, are you spending this time worried about, like, how am I going to meet the, Who am I going to meet? When am I going to meet them? Where are we going to meet at? Or are you more worried about um, what kind of, what kind of boyfriend or girlfriend do I want to be? What kind of person are they going to find when they, when they really get to know me? Am I developing my character in such a way that I'm, I'm becoming the kind of person that the person that I want to be with is really going to want to be with me, too, in this season? See, there's always work where God is leading. There's always space. So God's next direction always builds off his previous direction. The second thing that I, I see here is that God leads both by closing and by opening doors. He does it in both ways, and it's part of the process. We don't like the closed doors most of the time. We really get angry, and we, we get disappointed, and we love an open door. But sometimes the closed doors are more helpful for us than, than the open doors. Now, we could speculate about how this was closed. It doesn't tell us in Scripture. It says that they were forbidden. That's pretty strong 
speak the word in Asia. It could have been a prophetic word from somebody in the church. It could have been their time in praying together. It might have been an illness or, or some sort of outward opposition that kept them from entering into that region. We don't know. But it was very clear that they took it as a word from the Lord that he was closing that door. And the same thing happened again. So when we look to these things, there's, uh, when we look to make godly decisions, to open doors and close doors, how do we evaluate these, these things that come along? Well, there's, uh, most, most people will point to a few things. One, as I already talked about, is God's word. He's made a lot of things really clear here. Now, it doesn't say here, should I take that job in Texas, right? It's, you're not going to find that in here, right? Uh, but, but there's a lot of things in here that are very clear, and he's not going to contradict himself. And so if he tells you something clearly in his word, he's not then going to tell you something else. So if you come to see me and say, yeah, Ezra, I've, you know, I've always wanted this, uh, this car, and I've noticed my neighbor has it, and I really want it, so I'm just, I feel like God's telling me to just go take it, right? I'm just going to steal it and put it in my garage. I'd probably say, no, I don't think you're hearing from God clearly, because I'm pretty sure it says thou shalt not steal, right? So, so I think you might be hearing wrong on that one. And so, so this is the trump card, right, that, that we can bring it to this, and this will direct. If we're feeling like, man, maybe God wants me to do this, what does his word say? Does his word speak clearly on that issue? If it does, and it's amazing how many times people will rationalize and say, man, I prayed about it, and I really, I just really feel like God's leading me to do this. And, and there's times when it's not what's in his word. And if it runs counter to what is in his word, I encourage you, it's, you need to pray about it some more <laughs> until he shows you clearly how, how the two things align. Prayer is, is the next important one. In James 1.5, it says that uh, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God because he loves to give it. He's a generous father. He loves to give us wisdom. He wants us to come and ask him. And so many times we spend time running scenarios in our head and saying, well, what if they do this? And what if this happens? And, and I'm worried. And, and, we, and we talk. And, uh, but for all the time we're spending to do that, how much time are we spending just bringing it before the Lord and saying, God, what do you want me to do here? And just spending time in conversation, not just a laundry list kind of prayer, but a, a conversational prayer. God, this is a huge decision. I'm going to block out some time where I can get out away without distraction and I can just spend some time with you and try and hear clearly from you. You know, maybe for you it's getting out in nature. Maybe for, for you it's turning the phone off. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, but how do you spend time with God so that you make sure that you're in conversation with him as much as you are with yourself and with the people around you about what's going on? So God's word, we've got prayer. Godly counselors, we see this here. We see that there's a kind of a group decision. After he has this vision, he says, you know, then, then we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I always think that part's kind of a little bit ironic. Like, yeah, if I have a vision in the middle of the night with, with God showing me something pretty clearly, I would probably be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. But, um, but he could have woke up and said, hey, you know, was that just a dream? Was that a nightmare? Did I eat something weird last night? Like, what, what caused that to happen? And they, they came together, they prayed over it, they spoke about it, and there was a, there was a godly counsel that led them in that direction. So that's where we encourage you, as Keith talked about this morning, discipleship is so key that, that we have to have people that we're walking through uh, relationship with Christ together. It's, it's not just an individual thing. It's us walking with others. So that if you have something come up at work, you don't say, oh man, it's Tuesday and this is coming up. I hope uh, next Sunday they preach on something that relates to this because I need to figure it out, right? You need to have somebody in your life that you can call or text or say, hey, like, uh, and not just people that will tell you what you want to hear, but people that will say, hey, I really think, you know, uh, the godly thing to do would be this. I know you don't want to hear this, but I think this is what God would have you to do. You know, do you have those kind of people in your life? And I would encourage you, part of the way to develop those relationships is, is, is through relating at church. As Keith said, just the next step is whatever, to get connected. Jump into a ministry. Help people park cars. Uh, help, help in the kids' ministry. Serve alongside somebody. Greet together. 
Join one of our small groups. Get together with a small group of 10, 12, 15, 20 people and begin to say, oh yeah, wow, we're in, we're, we're in the same industry or, or you know, we live in the same neighborhood. That's somebody that I can connect with and develop some of those deeper relationships and then be intentional about saying, hey, I'm glad that we've hit it off, but let's keep Jesus at the center of our relationship. How, we, how about we meet up every couple weeks and go through scripture together? Man, that's powerful. Godly counselors. And then, and then the fourth thing, and I definitely think it's important that this is fourth, is desires and circumstances. We have desires. We have circumstances. God gives them to us. You know, he may open a door and say, uh, hey, here's a, here's a job doing something that you've always wanted to do, and it pays more money than what you're doing right now, and, and, uh, and he may have uniquely equipped you to do that job. That's a good thing, right? Like, hey, here's an open door that kind of fits, and I really want to do it. God, is this, is this for me? But the other thing that we see is that sometimes our desires lead us in the wrong direction. Sometimes we desire things that are not good for us. As the new year, like, like many of you, uh, I'm trying to eat healthier my wife is trying to eat healthier. She's doing a much better job of it than I am, right? So, um, so we still have like these leftover chocolate, caramel, sea salt, Trader Joe's things in our house, right? And so uh, I want that. I desire to eat that when I'm sitting around watching TV at nighttime. Uh, but I know it's not good for me. And if I take it and I go sit down and eat it, then she's going to want it. So it's actually spilling over to her as well, right? So it's, it's, it's irresponsible either way. But that's my genuine desire. That's really what I want to do. And I have to be convinced that the better thing for me to do is to eat healthy and to commit to that. And so sometimes we have to choose the right thing and let our desires catch up. We're, we're an emotion-driven society. If it feels good, do it, right? There's probably a pop song on the radio right now saying that, right? If it feels good, do it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if it's good, do it. And eventually it'll feel good. It might not feel good. It might feel terrible right away. But eventually, God is going to align your desires of your heart to line up with his desires. And if you keep doing what is good and perfect, God will bless you with the desire to do what is good and perfect. And so we have these things. God's word, prayer, godly counselors, desires and circumstances of our heart that come together. God closes some doors and he opens others. Now, a third thing I see is, uh, this is really, this is awesome. Uh, after a while, we get to see glimpses of God's reasons for doing things. We don't always see it, but sometimes we get a glimpse. And look at what happens here in this passage. It's really cool. Uh, in verse 6, right, he says, And they went to the region of Phrygia, verse 7, and when they had come to Mysia, right? And then, uh, verse 8, uh, so then they, they went down to Troas. And then, and then Paul has this vision, but look at me in verse 10. Look, look with verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, Who? We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's fascinating, right? It switches from third person to first person here in verse 10 without any fanfare or notice. But all of a sudden, Luke, who wrote the, the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Acts, is now along on the journey. And so reading in the context, we've got to assume, okay, when they got to Troas... They connected up with Luke. Did they know Luke before that? Had they had any connection with him? Was there? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But Luke, who wrote by words the majority of the New Testament, he wrote 27% of the New Testament by words in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He didn't write a lot of books, but the ones that he wrote were long. It's kind of like my sermons, right? <laughs> so this incredible contributor to Christian faith and history, like we literally might not be reading this book today, if God hadn't closed the door over here, did the people in Asia need the gospel? Yeah, they needed it, but God said, not right now. And the people of Mysia, did they need it? Yeah, they needed it, but not right now. God was directing them 
to this place where now all of a sudden Luke is along on the journey. Maybe that's why God closed those doors. We don't know, but, but we can get a glimpse of it, right? Listen to the towns that they went to as they were rerouted in this. After this, they go to Philippi, and then they go to Thessalonica, and then they go to Corinth, right? And you might recognize some of those cities from biblical books, right? The Philippians and Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, like a huge volume, a lot more of the New Testament also now comes into play because they went to these places, they planted churches, these churches grew and, and had mistakes and had successes and had failures, and Paul wrote letters to them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and now we get to read those today. And so, so much unfolded by these things, it seemed like, uh, God, why are you closing these doors? But we begin to see, oh, that's why you were doing it. It's beginning to make sense. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I just feel all I, all I see around me is closed doors. <laughs> I don't see an open window. I don't see an open door. I don't see anything open. I just see closed, 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 closed. And, and I want to encourage you to, to trust that he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And he was saying that before he was sending them into a lengthy exile. <laughs> it's not like, hey, I'm taking you into the promised land. It's like, hey, I'm going to tell you this as I'm taking you out of the promised land and as I'm going to make you suffer in exile. But, but trust me, I know the plans I have for you. Maybe you're experiencing closed doors. I want to encourage you, trust that God is going to open the door and there's going to be a good reason. And you may see it in this life. You might not see it till you get to heaven to understand why God closed the doors that he closed. I've shared with some of you before, uh, this is part of the story of how uh, Trina and I, my wife, how, how we came together. There was a lot of closed doors that led us uh, ultimately to meeting each other. I was working in a, in a company. We were importing sporting goods from China. Uh, they were coming in. Uh, we were shipping them out, and a ton of them were getting returned because we weren't packaging them properly, and they were getting damaged in shipment. And so my boss calls me in, and he says, hey, down in our warehouse in Louisville, there is like pallet after pallet of broken stuff because things aren't packed correctly. I need you to go down to Louisville, figure out what's broken, and fix it, right? So uh, this is not a glamour assignment, right? This is not one of these things that are like, oh, I can't wait to go to Louisville. That sounds exciting. And go to the warehouse and look at broken stuff all day and try and figure out why it's breaking. Um, and so, so I was like, all right, yeah, I guess I'll go do that. So I went, but I had friends who were in seminary down there, and I was like, well, at least I'll get to hang out with them. We made plans to hang out. That afternoon, I get a call. Hey, uh, everything's okay, but we have to take one of our kids to the ER, and so we're not going to be able to meet up with you. And, and their kid ended up being totally fine. But, but like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Like the one night that I'm here that I could hang out, now I, I can't hang out with my friends. God, why'd you do that? And so I'm bored. I'm in this city uh, where I don't know anybody. And so I, uh, I'm like, well, there's probably a Christian. There's a seminary here. There's probably a Christian coffee shop somewhere. So I Google Christian Cafe, and up pops this thing for this Christian dating website, Christian Cafe. I don't even think it exists anymore, right? It was like, free 10-day trial. And so I was like, well, I'm bored. I'm single. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. And so I signed up for this. And, it, and, and my wife, uh, Katrina, had, had signed up for the free 10-day trial around the same time. And so we get paired up. We start uh, messaging back and forth. After a while, she said, hey, I'm not going to pay these guys. <laughs> I'm leaving the 10-day trial. Um, but, but here's my MySpace information. Like, let's keep in touch, right? So <laughs> showing my age here a little bit, right? Uh, and God, I, I have no doubt. Uh, that God used closed doors. And, and, and on top of that, you know, I was 30-plus uh, at this point, 30 years of, like, being single and not really wanting to be single and trying not to be single but not really figuring out why I couldn't figure it out. But then when it happened, I was able to look at it and say, oh, God, that's why you did that. That's why you led me through all that. Because now I, I see that he meant for us to be together. Um, and she had her own series of, of closed doors in her life that, that led her to that same place. 
Um, and so I want to encourage you that if, if there's a story, we can see in, in, in Paul's story that there was a reason why he was closing doors. We, I can see in my own life that not all the time, but I can see some places where I'm like, okay, I see why you were closing those doors. We've got to believe that even when we can't see why God's closing the doors, that in his vast knowledge that there's reasons beyond what we can see or understand that he's closing a door because he wants to do something better. So do we trust him in that? Well, I want to show you how the story concludes, and it's, it's, it's surprising in some ways. Uh, picking up in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So great, a great conclusion. Uh, it's not concluded. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at everything that happened in Philippi. But, but they get there. But, but what happened right away? We see that there was some patience that was required, right? They got there. And what's to say? We were in the city for some days. They're probably like, man, where's, I thought the guy would be at the gates just waiting, like, hey, I came to you in a vision. Here I am. Let's, let's do this thing, right? But they didn't have it. They're walking around the city, and they're like, well, we usually go to the synagogue. Let's go to the synagogue. Uh, what? Oh, there's no synagogue here? They had to have 10, um, they had to have 10 Jewish men to, to officially form a synagogue. There weren't 10 in this entire city, uh, so they didn't have a formal synagogue. And they're like, oh, there's no synagogue. So they probably had a couple nights where they're like, man, God, I, I know you led us here, but where? Where are we going? And then somebody said, hey, there's some ladies that meet uh, on the Sabbath down by the riverside. It'd be a good name for a church, right? <laughs> like this place is kind of outside the religious center, but it's just like a place for people to go to pray. Like that would be pretty sweet. Um, so, so they go to Riverside, and they find these ladies, and, uh, and they're there, and they get a chance to share the gospel. And the last thing I want you to see here is that when we go and we're doing what God is leading us to, it's still not us that it's doing it. It's God that's doing it. What does it say? It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul was saying it, but it was the Lord that was opening Lydia's heart to hear it. And I really love the story of Lydia because this is what I've seen here at Riverside so much that uh, in this area in particular, that there's, uh, there is a heritage, there is a legacy that people uh, have been raised with, with some sort of knowledge of God. They, uh, they, they know something about him, and yet for whatever reason, many have disconnected from him. And so if you ask them, they're like, no, no, I believe in a higher power, I believe in a creator, I just, I don't know if I go in for all that religion and ceremony, I don't know if I go that. And, and God has led people here to the church, and we've gotten up and we've proclaimed the gospel that says, you're right, it's not about religion, it's not about ceremony, it's not about trying to do things to earn God's favor, or to, to get him to, to love us and accept us, and, and, and we're not supposed to agonize over, have I done enough to get into heaven? That's not the gospel. Look, look what the gospel says. The gospel says that none of us is worthy, that we're all sinners who are in need of a Savior. And it says Jesus did perfectly what we can't do. The Bible says that that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place and to forgive us. 
So are Christians, uh, Christians supposed to be judgmental people that feel better about ourselves with our noses up in the air like, oh, we're better than these lowly sinners? No, that's what Pharisees are. Christians are those that understand that we are broken, sinful people who are in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And so when Lydia heard this, the dots began to connect. She's like, yeah, the creator, this makes sense because I never understood how God could be loving and just. How could God love, love me? And, but how could he turn a blind eye to my sin? Because deep down I know that I'm, I miss the mark. I try really hard, but I fail. How's God ever going to accept me? I know he loves me, but, but he's also just. And so I feel, I, I don't get it. And then Paul showed her Jesus and she says, now I get it. Now I understand how God is both loving and just. Now I understand how I could possibly spend eternity with him despite my brokenness. And my hope is that for some of you that, that you're coming in the position of Lydia today even, where you say, I, you know, I've been pursuing God. I've been, I've been trying, you know, I came to church today because I know I'm supposed to do that, but, but it's just never really clicked. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, connecting the dots to say, no, 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 it's not about doing, it's about being. It's about receiving what Jesus has done for me. It's not about a list of rules and, and regulations that I'm never going to feel like I did enough. It's not about feeling like I'm less and less. It's about receiving the fact that Jesus has, has freed me from that. That he's fulfilled the law on my behalf. That he loves me so much that he died for me and that he's given me forgiveness. And I can charge out of here and I can wake up tomorrow full of hope and life because I'm forgiven. I'm free. I don't have to worry about if I die, if I'm going to go to heaven. I know that, that he has promised that I will. So now I can live my life on mission. Now I can be excited. Now I can pour my, I don't care what people think about me, right? Their opinion, it doesn't matter nearly as much as the opinion of the Father. And he has, he has told me what he thinks about me. And he's demonstrated it on the cross. My hope is that you're there today. That's descriptive of where your life is. And if it's not, I want to offer you the opportunity. Today is the day. If you're feeling something and it's not Ezra convincing you, if you're feeling something, it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm calling you to a deeper place. I'm calling you to know what forgiveness feels like. I'm calling you to know what assurance feels like. I don't want you to go through life worrying about whether you're good enough. I want you to believe me when I say <laughs> that you weren't good enough, but because of what Jesus has done now, I view you as my child, and I welcome you in. And I hope that He's leading you that place today. And so I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to invite you to bow your head in prayer, and, and I'm going to invite you to, to respond this morning. First, I want to talk to those that, um, if you heard me talking today about leading and guiding, and, and maybe you've been wrestling with a decision in your life, maybe you've been wrestling with, with where God is leading you, maybe you feel like your tires are spinning or or you see the clock ticking away, and you say, God, I feel like there's got to be more than this for me. There's got to be something else. I want to encourage you to think about the things that we talked about today. Are you fulfilling the clear calls that God has already placed on, on your life in Scripture? Are you pursuing the things that he's laid out there? He's, he's giving you a blueprint of what the Christian life is meant to look like. Are you, are you pursuing those things? That's a great leading. <laughs> that is direction. And maybe he's, he's speaking to your heart today saying, that's where I want you to go. I'm, I'm telling you that. If you're trying to decide on something else, I want to encourage you to, to, to study Scripture, to, to be praying about it, to talk to godly counselors, reach out to somebody who you know and trust and, and ask for their input and, and, and factor your desires and circumstances into that. But um, allow God to walk through this. He loves to pour his knowledge and his wisdom out on you, and he wants to do that. I want to encourage you with that today.
I want to encourage you to be more concerned with the how and the why than you are with the who, the what, the where, and the when. And when God shows you where he wants you to go, I want you to encourage you to have the courage to, to take a step forward in it. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, but today he has spoken to you through this scripture, and you've seen in here a picture of who Jesus is, and just like Lydia, you say, hey, I, I understood a tiny bit before, but all of a sudden now I get who Jesus is, and, and, and I understand it in a new way, and I, uh, something is different in me. If, if that's where you're at today, I want to invite you uh, to join me in saying this prayer. And there's nothing magical about these specific words. It's, it's, it's a transaction in your heart between you and God, but this is a way to vocalize it. So just there at your seat, I invite you to pray this after me and say, Heavenly Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Despite my best efforts, I'm worried that they're not good enough. But I see in your word that you sent Jesus to die in my place. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the grave. And I believe that you accept his perfect sacrifice. And I believe that I'm forgiven. I believe that I'm a new creation. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you keep your heads bowed just for a moment, I just want to, uh, if you prayed that today, if God has done something in your heart and, and this is a new day, a a new creation for you, I want to I want to encourage you, would you just shoot your hand up just so I can be praying for you this week, just so I can be thinking about, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to encourage you to, um, if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you to, to take that next step. The best step is the next step. Write something down on your response card, send us an email this week, grab one of us after the service and, and talk to us and just say, hey, I, I, I've placed my faith in Jesus. We would love nothing more in this whole world than to, to share that with you and, and, and to walk through with you what the next steps are in following Jesus and help you to begin to discover where he's leading and guiding and directing you. And it, it would be our privilege, our great privilege to do that.